for you as this congregation. Renewal of one's desire for God. This church is longing for God, both as a community and in community. And then to renewal in passion for God's mission in the world. A mission that maybe most succinctly, as St. John of the Cross said, is to put love where love is not. And to convey God's love in every fabric and corner of society. That's what this summer is about. Cultivating this desire for God and his mission to be expressed through our lives. And I want to begin with a practice, a simple practice, that will begin to point us towards the idea of desire and longing in our hearts. Let me invite you to take out of your bulletin uh, the sheet, that is, the insert, that says at the top on one side, the renewal of self. It normally has blank space for sermon notes. Let me invite you to pull that out, and you'll see there at the top, and you'll want a pen. I'll go ahead and say that now. You'll see the phrase there, spiritual location exercise. We're going to take the next five to seven minutes, and we're going to walk through this. And I'm going to tell you up front, this won't be long enough. This will not be long enough. I want to just give you a taste of this exercise. This is something that you may uh, decide you want to set aside 30 minutes sometime this week to just kind of move through slowly. This is an exercise I learned from my spiritual director who took me into this space to help me kind of get a sense of, of what's going on inside of me. What's happening inside of me? What is God showing me about what's going on in my world and make me attentive to know and understand? And it begins, and I'll, I'll walk us through these, but I, I, I'll say this first before we, we go through it and I give you actually a chance to do it. It begins by asking us questions very simply about the facts of our life, the things we're thinking about, the emotions that we're feeling, what our body is telling us, right? Sometimes our body tells us stuff like, oh, my neck has been like really tense for like, goodness, I think for like two days. Oh, that's probably telling us something. Like our body is woven into, right, the fabric of who we are and our thinking and our feelings. And then it asks in the fifth question, what are some questions you have? Like if Jesus was sitting in front of you in the flesh, like you were back in the New Testament times, what would you ask Jesus? And then finally, the sixth question is then asking you to reflect on what do you desire? What do you really desire and what do you long for? So I'm going to guide us through this time now to actually begin to reflect on these. And I want to invite you, it's not a lot of space, but I want to invite you to just jot down some responses to each of the prompts, each of the questions as we go through them. And we begin with what are the facts of your being? What are just the basic realities of your life? Begin to write those down. I'm a student. I work this job. I'm married. I have three children. I'm caring for aging parents. What are the facts of your life, the givens of your life right now? Take a moment and write those down.
Now, what are the preoccupations of your mind? What are the tapes that you're rehearsing in your head over and over again? The ideas, the situations, what are you thinking about? What are the movements of your heart? In other words, what have your emotions been? What are your feelings? If you struggle sometimes to access your feelings, or to know what you actually feel, start with sad, mad, glad. Have you been sad lately, mad lately, glad lately? And take that one word and see if you can come up with some other feeling words or emotional words that you have that express the emotions of your life. What have, what have been the prevailing emotions recently for you? Now, what's the condition of your body? What is your body telling you physically about your life? You're tired. The cottonwood is killing you like it's killing me with my allergies. I've had a cold for three months. I personally have not. Maybe you have. What is it in your, that your body is telling you? Now, what do you want to ask God? I realize he knows already. Let me invite you to even write it down. What do you want to ask God? 
You could ask God anything. Maybe there's more than one question that you have for God. Final question, what are your longings and desires? What do you want? What are you desiring right now? I invite you now to read back over it. Read over each of those six questions. Do you see a pattern? Is there a theme? And as we sit quietly for just a few moments, do you sense the Spirit of God showing you anything about where you are with God right now in the world? Take a moment to read over and to listen. God, our Father, I am mindful of the reality that to do this kind of exercise is an invitation to relationship with you. That when I sit with these thoughts, when I sit with these questions, when I seek to recognize where I am in the world and with you, there's something relational about it. You're wanting to, uh, in a sense, know. I, I realize, God, you know already. I, I, I know that. I, I, I believe that. But there's something about it that it's as if we truly are sitting together. And, and it's, it's me seeing about what's in me, and it's you uh, recognizing that with me. And, and then there's something very relational about how you then can speak and help guide and direct and, 
Help me to pay attention to what's happening in my heart. Help us to pay attention to what's happening in our hearts, minds, and spirits. So, Father, I pray that uh, as this little exercise has been done now, that it would be a, a taste for people to want to, to take more time with, even this week, maybe the future, but also that you are, even now, uh, beginning to illuminate our desires, illuminate our longings, revealing to us, shining the light in our life to show us what is it we really desire. What is it that we're desiring on the surface that looks like our desire and we're giving a lot of time of att and attention to? And what is our real desire that's deep down within us and that you're wanting to help us to see the real light for that we are to go after and we're distracted? What is that, God? I pray today as we talk about desire, as we see this idea of loving you and pursuing you and creating conditions for you to form us in our desire for you. I pray, Father, that we will respond, we will be open, we'll be receptive, and we'll be attentive, attentive to hear from you what that means for our life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. In 2007, I took my first trip to Toronto. Okay, well, it wasn't my first trip to Toronto because I grew up in upstate New York and I had been there with my parents. But in 2007, it was my first trip with a, a man who is now a dear friend and mentor in my life named Larry. And I, at the time, was a college pastor, college and young adult students, and we would go to Toronto and we would walk for five days, basically. And we would walk many, many, many miles. It was before the time of Fitbits that we went, but anybody that later in the time when I took people to Toronto had a Fitbit, they were very proud of the number of steps that were showing up on their Fitbit because we would walk up to 15 miles a day, crisscross, hear that again, 15 miles a day, crisscrossing the city, crisscrossing the city into different areas and cultures. And it's a trip that you might call uh, one that, of disruptive discipleship, just putting you out of your element to see Jesus in a different way in the world. Uh, in fact, I'm excited to take one of my sons there in two weeks and for us to have a, a shortened experience for a few days with some other high schoolers and my dear friend Larry and to experience that together. This picture is Dundas Square. Dundas Square is the Times Square of Toronto. It's a super fun area. There's lots of crazy people out on Fridays and Saturday nights. I don't mean crazy as in mental. I didn't mean it that way. I mean crazy as in like they are doing stuff that like just is, it should be on America's Got Talent. Like it's that kind of stuff that they're doing on the street corners and such to get people's attention. Artists and dancers and the best like bucket drummer you have ever seen in your life with like muscles up his arm here that just, are, they bulge, they're bigger than Arnold Schwarzenegger's. Anyway, okay, slight exaggeration. So Dundas is an amazing space in that way. Uh, if you're an NBA Finals fan uh, watching Golden State in Toronto, you'll probably see Dundas because they're showing some aerial shots and they're showing different pockets of where uh, people are watching the games together and they're watching it in Dundas Square. They're filling it up. Normally it's filled watching hockey, now it's basketball. So in Dundas Square, what makes it kind of unique is that it's also a place with lots of uh, electronic billboards now and lots of messages. It's connected to the Eaton Center, and the Eaton Center at one time was the largest mall in the world. When I was growing up, at least it was. It's not now, but it's huge. And, and it's all about that. All the messages around it that are on the billboards and even up the streets, the different places you can go. They're all sharing a message of a good life for appetites and pleasures, most of which are not of God, or most of which aren't necessarily 
bad in and of themselves, except when they become what we desire above all else, become idolatrous, and take us away from God. Like, it's not wrong to go shopping. It's not wrong to buy things. The billboards and all that they present of what you can have, it's not wrong to have those things. But the messages bombard you with for you to have a good life, for you to have happiness in this life, for you to get your desires fulfilled. You got to own this, you got to buy this, you got to look like this, you got to do this. Now, what's a bit ironic about the Dundas Square is that, yes, it's in, in the, the uh, last vestiges of the business district, because if you go south from Dundas, you start to get more and more into the business and financial district. So connected to Eaton Square, across from this part right here, across from, from this square here, is the Eaton Center. And when you walk through that Eaton Center Mall, you walk into this oasis that is, I'll come back to that picture in a second, uh, this park. Now, this park is called um, Trinity Square. And one side of it is the Eaton Center, and the other four sides of the square are business offices and financial buildings. That round circle with the bushes that you see, that's a prayer labyrinth. If you're not familiar with prayer labyrinth, Google it when you get home or now while we're in church. It's a way of praying and talking to God with your feet as you walk. It is a beautiful, poignant, spiritual practice that the church has been doing for at least over 1,000 years. Right in the heart of all of these messages saying, you need this, you need to wear this, you need to buy this, you need to do this, you need to have this to have your longings and desires fulfilled, is this prayer labyrinth. And next to it, is a church called Holy Trinity with the only memorial to the homeless in Toronto. Oh, the irony. Oh, the irony. To be surrounded in Dundas Square and the Eaton Center and those financial buildings with the messages of that good life and in the middle is the vision of another good life. That is about desiring the one who decided to sacrifice and die and say that the marginalized and the poor and the outcasts and the, one, the have-nots are actually the ones who have with this simple memorial. And the papers behind that glass that are all the names of all the homeless who have died, many of which are named Jane Doe and John Doe because nobody knew their name, but they were acknowledged anyway. These our competing values. These symbols of location in Toronto demonstrate the competition that there is in our lives for what we will love and what we will desire in this world. The materialism and consumerism represented by Dundas Square and by the Eaton Center and all that is around it, or the selfless service of love after our master of love and living, Jesus Christ, represented by a church, a homeless memorial to the marginalized, and a labyrinth that says, come and know me in quiet and in prayer and in contemplation and in stillness. Let me ask you this. The last question from that spiritual location exercise. What do you desire? What is it that you desire? What is it that you desire? What is it that you long for in your heart? What is it that you want and that you're pursuing even with the totality of your being? 
No judgment about it, just for yourselves right now. Can you observe, what is it that you want? Is it financial stability? Is it a boat for a lake because it's summer? Is it a larger house? Is it the achievement of certain educational pursuits for your children? Is it winning the baseball tournament today at Grand Park for your travel baseball team or your child's travel baseball team? Just what is it you desire? Because we need to pay attention to what we desire. Because if we don't desire God, we won't go after God. And this is a summer of renewal where we are invited to deepen in our desire for God. And even more so, we are invited to create habits and practices in our life that feed our desire for God. Why do we need that? Because it is our responsibility to cultivate our desire for God. That is our responsibility. That's what Ruth Haley Barton is saying when she says we can set up the conditions for spiritual transformation. We can set up the conditions in our lives to feed us to desire God. We've got to nurture that desire for God and the good life of living his kingdom mission. Because the competing idols and the competing values inundate us with messages that want us to give our love and affection to those messages. To walk through Dundas Square, when I walk with groups, I tell them, walk through this square. What are the messages? What are they calling out to you for you to love and desire? What are they saying to you should be your affection? And we reflect on that. And then we walk through the Eaton Center into that circle with the labyrinth and the homeless memorial and the church. Now, what is being called out to you to love and desire? What is calling out to you for your affection? The messages inundate us all around us all the time to give our affection and love and desire to something other than God and his kingdom. And this is why it is so significant for us to take responsibility to nurture that in the world. Because we are desiring creatures first and foremost. Oh, I know. Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Actually, he said, I doubt, therefore I am. But it was a reference to thinking. But we are not thinkers first. We are desirers first. We are lovers first. I go to the donut shop on 56th Street in Keystone with my kids. I would like to eat all of the Bavarian cream donuts. They're the best in the city, in my opinion. I love them, and I have tried quite a few in the city. They're great. The chocolate is amazing. It's a little dark, and I love that. It's a perfect little balance there. And why do I not eat all the donuts? Why do I not even order two? Because I think, what will that do to me in the long run if I do that? We think to, in a sense, curb our desires. We think to feed our desires by our choices. We think to determine, is what we love what we ought to love? We think and we feel and we see what's going on in our body and all that that's telling us to see is what we're desiring up here and there's a deeper desire down here that God's trying to shed light on or is what we desire really down here in the depths of what we need and who we are as human beings. We are desiring creatures more than anything else and that does not make desire bad. Actually, it makes desire good. We are meant to be desirers. Why? First and foremost, because God is a desiring, quote-unquote, creature. I know God's not a creature. I realize that. But God is desiring. This is the essence of the Trinity. God is a lover. God loves to desire, to to want, to love, to give affection. This is who God is, was, and will be. The very nature of the Trinity, that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
is that God has been, for eternity past and to eternity future, God has been giving and receiving and sharing love within the Godhead. What was God doing before God created the world? God was loving God's self. God was desiring God's self within the Godhead. And then we are created out of that of God. So God is a desiring creature and we're made in God's image. God is a lover and we are made in that image. So our desire and our love is good. It also then is what we're told in Scripture about how we're to be with God, that we are to love and desire God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at this briefly. In Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Scriptures point to us that we are meant to be with God, not thinkers first, but lovers first, desirers first of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6 from verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are on the road and at home, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The command of verse 5 here, you shall love the Lord your God, it is the central command to the whole book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the book of the covenant. It's setting up this whole concept that we still have connection to today of God is God and we are the people of God. And the essence of being in covenant relationship with God is to love God. It is not to obey God. It is not. We sometimes teach this in the church. Sometimes I felt this as a, as a kid growing up that the essence of my relationship with God was to obey God. It's not. The essence of God in relationship with God as the covenant God is right here first and foremost. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love, desire, want, be in relationship with. Even the obedience that God calls them to is possible only out of a response to God who had cared for them. And this love for God is because God is a jealous God. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. Jump down to there. Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only God's name. You must not worship any of the gods of the neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. For the Lord who lives among you is a jealous God. God's allowed to be jealous because God knows that what we need way deep down inside, which we've got to get in touch with, is that we need God. That we, quote unquote, run on God. We don't run on Dunkin' Donuts. We run on God. We run in the image of God by being connected to God and desiring God. And this Deuteronomy passage then is reflected by Jesus, or spoken again by Jesus in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. He's quoting the covenant of Deuteronomy on purpose. He's making the connection that we who follow Jesus are also we who connect in the covenant of Deuteronomy, not to all of the law in that way, because as this goes on to say, this fulfills the law and the prophets to love God and love others, but that we are connected as the people of God going back in the scriptures to, the, to Deuteronomy. And so then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. 
our desire for God, our passion for God, and then to love our neighbor, our desire to love as Jesus loved, our desire for God's mission in the world, which is to love our neighbor. It's encapsulated in loving our neighbor. Love is spoken of and desiring God is spoken of in numerous places in the Psalms, but I'll highlight one from Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you, and being with you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever, from Psalm 73. This is the psalmist expressing this deep understanding way down here that though the psalmist that day might have been really, really hungry or the psalmist that day might have had their eye on a certain uh, man or woman because we don't know if the psalmist necessarily was a man or a woman of Psalm 73 or the psalmist may have had their desire on a certain uh, group of sheep that were going to produce really good wool. I don't know. I mean, they were human, right? But way deep downside, the psalmist understood all of this stuff on earth that I might want. No, you are my portion and my strength forever. Whom have I in heaven but you, God? I desire nothing but you in this way. This is the invitation that we have from God, to desire God and to want God in this way and to desire God's mission in this way. But it is hard because there are so many other desires and longings competing for our affections. So many things that want to make our eyes wander to all that the earth has. There was a, a, a song put out a number of years ago. Look at all the pretty things that steal my heart away. I can feel I'm fading. Because, Lord, I love so many things that keep me from your face. Come and save me. There's so many pretty things. There's so many pretty things. And they are seeking our affection and our desire and our want and we've got to realize what these other desires are that are crying out to us. And we are called by God, invited by God, to be responsible then to cultivate and nurture our desire for God and what God wants in this world. We are called to feed our desire for this good life of loving God and his kingdom. It's because the practices and habits, they're making us into somebody. Jamie Smith, or James Smith, is a professor at Calvin College. I can't remember. Is that the competing college to this denomination? And you guys are Hope and Go Calvin. Okay, well, there you go. All right, so it's okay. I'm going to use Jamie Smith here. Okay. Jamie Smith wrote a brilliant book called Desiring the Kingdom, followed up by another one called Imagining the Kingdom, and then a third that I can't remember the name of today. But he says this, all habits and practices are ultimately trying to make us into a certain kind of person. Here's the context of this quote that I'll leave up for a moment. It is Jamie Smith's contention as I've been mentioning, that human beings are desiring creatures first, that we are lovers first, that we pursue what we love and desire. And what he's saying here is that the practices that we do in our life, the habits, the things we do over and over again, they are seeking to make us a certain kind of person. Practices that make us certain kinds of people, that's what's in our lives. There are practices that make us certain kinds of people. And what defines us is what we love. He has another book that he calls You Are What You Love. Practices are, again, the things that we do over and over, repeated, that are, have an aim. They have a goal. They're seeking to make us someone. My children attend the Oaks Academy. Well, my, my oldest now attends, uh, just finished his sophomore year at North Central, but my um, eighth grade son just f graduated from the Oaks, and my wife works at the Oaks, and my daughter goes to the Oaks Academy. The Oaks Academy is seeking to make students into certain kinds of people, lovers of God. And they do it with practices and habits. They start every day with what's called lauds. 
which is a short reading from the Psalms, a worship song, a reading then from another part of Scripture, and a prayer. Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. They do it in expanded form during chapel on Wednesdays. There's no chapel speakers. It's Scripture, it's prayer, it's worship songs. They have habits they want to form in people to experience and love the beauty of the world. So my daughter Janie came home and she showed me her nature notebook. Why? Because at least once a month they go on a nature walk and they draw pictures of things in nature. What are they trying to do? They're trying to form children and students who have a love for the beauty of God's creation. And the things that the Oaks does go on and on and on of what they're trying to do to appreciate God's love in, in the world. And it culminates with writing in eighth grade a paper on what is truth, what is beauty. And then as I sat with my, my son Hudson early May, he had to sh answer questions related to his explanation of what is truth and what is beauty. Because the Oaks is trying to, has an aim of a goal of turning out certain types of students and people. Desirers and lovers of God. And they do practices and habits that seek to form them in that way. And the great challenge to us is that the world has practices and habits that are seeking to do the same thing to us. And they're subtle and subversive and happening in ways we don't even see at times. Jamie Smith gives a great example of this. In his book, he talks about the liturgy and theology of the mall. And he basically says, there's a theology of the mall. Now I know the mall is somewhat going by the wayside, right? Thanks to Amazon, going to Clay Terrace and walking around in the shops, going to the Castleton Mall, all these places. It's not quite the same thing, but go with it for a moment. Extrapolate out in your mind if you can. The mall is an intensification of, of showing this picture of consumerism and materialism. And the mall's theology is this. I'm broken, therefore I shop. And I find in the mall whatever is going to make me feel better about me. Whatever it is that I need, is it a way I need to look? Is it the type of phone that I have? Is it the music that I listen to now? Is it the place that I ate at at the mall because it's got some level of establishment and being raised up? In other words, shopping and consuming goods at the mall brings healing to our brokenness. A better wardrobe, a new car, the latest technology. I'm broke, therefore I shop, and it, it brings healing to me. The mall is inundating us with messages, right? This is essentially what marketing is. Marketing is telling us, you need to desire this. Right? This is what's going on all the time for us. It inundates us. I've been talking to my kids when we've been watching it. At times, we'll talk about the commercials, and I'll say, okay, who do they think is watching this show right now based on the commercials? Because the commercials are targeted. And they're targeted to make you desire something. So let's think about that. We're just related in the moment to a, a middle school student then who spends lots of time at the mall. Go to the mall three days a week just to walk the mall with their friends. Or maybe they only one time a week there. But now because of their Gmail account, Google, they know what they're writing about and all the things they want. They're telling their friends, oh, I want to buy this, I want to buy this. So what's Google doing? Because Google reads your email, right? Y'all know that. I, it's, yeah, whatever. So Google is reading your email and it's popping up the ads. And then on their Facebook page and then their Instagram what are all the messages that are there? They're all coming, reading what they're showing in their photos, all getting them to what? To want to desire this. Can I just say this? When we have a middle school student who goes to church one day a week for maybe one to two hours to hear about God and desiring God in this world, when over six days a week, because it's not just six days a week, for the rest of their week is being bombarded with the messages, not of the kingdom of God, but of 
things in the world, all the pretty things that are make them to feel better about themselves, are we really shocked that our 13 and 14-year-olds struggle to want God? Are we really surprised with the way we live, with the way I live, that with the messages that are inundating me to desire everything but God and his kingdom, that I struggle to want God? And yet I'm made to run on God. And deep down in here, I do know I want God. But it takes a lot of work to push that back. It could be the mall. It could be sports. I remember reading recently, or not recently, excuse me, a few years ago, an article about how it was the Alabama-Tennessee football game in the fall and the parents did not go to the daughter's wedding because the daughter had chosen the Alabama-Tennessee football game weekend. That's nuts, right? But people do that. You know, around here it would be like a Saturday in March with IU in the Final Four, although that never will happen again. But anyway, um, so, sorry. Not an IU fan. Syracuse University, 1987, I know. Just say Keith Smart to me later, those IU fans, and I'll deal with it. Sports, right? I was at Grand Park yesterday for the first time. I've never been to Grand Park. What's the message of Grand Park? You don't have to say it out loud. Is Grand Park wrong? No. I, I know um, Andy Cook. I know who he is. I know his family. Andy Cook is a man who loves God and walks with God, the mayor of Westfield, and he made Grand Park because he knew it would help his city with jobs and for their economy. I have great respect for Andy Cook recognizing what he needed to do for his city. But what is the message of Grand Park that parents have to deal with? Well, as David Getz says in Death by Suburb, they have to deal with the idolatry of their children and living vicariously through their children's sports life. Desiring and wanting that more than God. Because they're practices that are making us certain kinds of people. What are we saying to our children when we choose travel sports over church? What are we telling them? Travel sports is not wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, what is it that we're saying when that's the practice that comes over and over? What's happening with the video gaming, and especially the violent video gaming where it, it trumpets up the military, like Call of Duty and others, where it could actually inadvertently not just lead to patriotism, but actually lead to an Americanism or an imperialism of America and now a desire about America's greatness instead of God's. All habits and practices are ultimately trying to make us into a certain kind of person. So the question we need to ask is just what kind of person is this habit or practice trying to produce? We cannot be naive to the fact that this is happening to us all the time. What kind of person is being formed by the passionate or maybe obsessive sports fan who watches football on the weekend to the exclusion of church? Uh, of course, that only happens in the South. To what end is violent video gaming aimed? What is the good life that we're being taught repeatedly by the materialistic consumption messages that we receive? What is Dundas Square saying to the citizens of Toronto in comparison to what the Labyrinth and the Homeless Memorial and Holy Trinity Church are saying? There's a difference there. They compete right next to each other. Driving in the suburbs alone in Hamilton County undermines God and his kingdom if, if we do not recognize many of the messages crying out to us. I remember driving one certain road on my way to uh, the church that I worked at in the past that had the message, you deserve to live here. There were days I did not drive that road because I wanted to live there. 
because those houses were nicer than mine. They had a great back decks with screened-in porches that looked over trees and had other things that I wanted. We watch HGTV. I like HGTV a lot, and there's times I got to stop watching HGTV because it creates desire, especially beach life and Caribbean life. And, oh, man. <laughs> living in Hamilton County alone, not just Hamilton County, certain parts of Marion County. I'll tell you, living in Marion County now, though, there are parts of living in Marion County that completely undermine that when you drive through, they completely undermine this idea. Instead, they give you the eye to, oh, maybe there are things that people don't have. Maybe there are those who are marginalized. That's just been our experience in, in the move from Hamilton to Marion. If we don't recognize the many messages that are there. So what do we do? What do we do? We do what Ruth Haley Barton said. We have to create the conditions for that spiritual transformation that we will want and desire God. We are invited to create and engage the practices and the habits that feed our desire for God. You know where this is going, right? You understand where this is going for the summer? You tracking with me? This is why we're talking about spiritual practices. This is why we talk next week about prayer. This is why we talk the week after about Lectio Divina and the week after about examine and in July about Sabbath and in July about discernment because we have got to cultivate our desire for God. And the way we do that is doing spiritual practices that push back the messages that are all around us, inundating us for love and affection for that which is not of God or which becomes an idol when we put too much affection on it, right? Watching a football game is not wrong. It's when the football game becomes the idol. Shopping's not wrong. It's when shopping becomes the idol. And so we are going to work together this summer. Solitary work that cannot be done alone to engage practices that will distinguish us as people characterized by a love for God. And how else do you do this? Not only with the practices. Not only thinking about how habits and practices are making you a certain kind of person, but also thinking about this other question. Just what kind of person is this habit or practice trying to produce? And what end is such a practice aimed? In other words, begin to non-judgmentally observe yourself. I would encourage you this, this week, maybe even driving home today. What are the messages around you? And what are they calling out to you to want and desire? Especially those repeated ones. Maybe even the, the, the route that you take or the route you take to get to work. What are the messages you see? When you're watching TV, what are the, what, what's going on in there? And what's the aim that it's trying to get you to have affection for? Can you even recognize it? It took me time just to even recognize. I still don't always recognize. What is it calling out to me to say? So that I can observe that and recognize it for what it is. A desire up here that becomes an idol when I take it and I put it way down deep in my soul replacing God, Right? When we take a desire that can just be a desire and it's not bad to have that desire. Like Timothy that says, money's not evil, but the love of money. The, the making of money down here as the greatest desire of our life. That's the problem. And so we need to observe ourselves to see the practices and the habits that we already have. To what aim are they pointing? 
what are they seeking to produce in us? A life after God and his kingdom? A life after God and his mission of love in the world? Or the life of the, the systems and kingdoms of this world that distract, that don't fulfill, that lie and deceive, and yet cry out for our affection? We are invited to cultivate spiritual practices individually that we do together as a community to renew our desire for God and his mission because we are the people of God. And just like Israel was commanded to do this in Deuteronomy and Jesus repeated again in Matthew, we are invited to the same. And so that's where we're going to go this summer. And that's what we're going to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this invitation to know you and to love you, to be in relationship with you, to actually like, be invited to desire the God of the universe, to want you, to have a love relationship with you. That's, that's just crazy. Like that, that does blow my mind, God. That it's not just that you are God over the world and all power, but that you are actually personal and close. Father, together, please help us. Help us to want you, to love you, to desire you, and help us to cultivate in our lives the habits and practices like we're going to do now as we take communion, the habits and practices that feed our desire for you. And in this way, renew us. In Jesus' name.